0: Hello, party people. This is the Just Ideas podcast. My name's Andy, and today's idea comes from Just Andy. So I wanted a podcast that I could call all my own, something I got to research, think about, and present to you all. So before I get into it, it's important I give a little bit of background and context. I was sitting at Boomer Lake in Stillwater with my girlfriend, Alexis, and she was telling me about this documentary she had watched called Dive by Jeremy Seifert or Jeremy Seifert, Uh, not sure on that last name, But she found some really interesting things in this documentary. And I'll throw a statistic at you from that documentary. It's food waste in the United States is estimated at between 30 and 40% of the food supply. And commercial food vendors are wasting around 133 billion pounds of food each year. It's really quite astonishing. So the interesting thing about this documentary is to showcase this food waste problem is these people go into the dumpster at Trader Joe's and they dive, hence the name, for food. And you find that they discover all these fairly fresh foods that are just aesthetically displeasing. After having learned this, she felt convicted and excited for having learned about the problem, and now she wants to do something about it. She composts, she recycles, and when I go over there, we feed her little dog all of our food scraps. But that wasn't something that I was interested in so much. She asked me, what do I get excited? What do I get passionate and convicted about? And I had to think about it. It's a pretty good question. I thought for a moment, and I decided that education was important to me. And not necessarily on the small scale where we concern ourselves with teacher pay and student-teacher ratio. While those are important things, I was thinking education more in a broad sense. And it's, it's entirely topical for someone like me because I'm a college student. Before Bernie Sanders ended his bid for president this year, he has some pretty big comments on how he saw education in the United States in terms of a political crisis. So here's Bernie Sanders talking about
1: college. This proposal completely eliminates student debt in this country and ends the absurdity of sentencing an entire generation, the millennial generation, to a lifetime of debt for the crime of doing the right thing. And that is going out and getting a higher education.
0: And it's not just politicians. It's also comedians and people like you and me. So here's John Mulaney telling his experience of spending $120,000 on his college
1: education. By the way, I agreed to give them $120,000 when I was 17 years old with no attorney present. That's illegal. They tricked me. They tricked me like Brendan Dassey on Making a Murderer. They tricked me like poor Brendan. They pulled me out of high school. I was in sweatpants all confused. Two guys in clip-on ties are like, come on, son, do the right thing. Sign here and you'll be an English major. I was like, okay. (laughs) Yes, you heard me, an English major. I paid $120,000. How dare you clap? How dare you clap for the worst financial decision I ever made in my life. I paid $120,000 for someone to tell me to go read Jane Austen, and then I didn't. So John Mulaney, funny as he may be, he actually illuminates
0: a bigger point. What does a 17, 18 year old know? Back in episode two of this podcast, Dr. Yurik and myself, we talked about college might be a scam, right? And he has this great quote in there, and he says that every college's motto is transcribed from Latin, and it sounds something like this. Thirsting for knowledge, we drink from the knowledge tree. And what he says it should be is, warning, moron. He He always says it that way. This would be a very expensive mistake to make. And part of that rhetoric is that college will fit us like a glass slipper and we'll be like Cinderella and we're off to the ball. We do it because society makes us feel like we should do it. Then they get to college and they choose a ridiculous major. Now I'm in the business school, so I've identified the ridiculous major and the business college. It is sports management. Now don't chew my head off. Don't tell me your son, your daughter, you majored in sports management. Allow me to make my point. Maybe you'll agree with me. How does an 18-year-old select sports management. Well, before school starts, our advisor sits down with us, fresh out of high school, and they say, hey, Johnny, what do you like to do? Johnny thinks for a minute and goes, well, I like sports. His advisor says, okay, come on, keep going. And he goes, well, I manage a pretty good fantasy football team. And his advisor snaps his fingers and he says, I've got it, Johnny, you're a sports management major. And Johnny leaves and he feels pretty good about himself. He's going to be the next Rob Palenka, GM of the Los Angeles Lakers. But... I think that there's a problem here. There's no one that really said anything else to Johnny except for his advisor. In episode 12, we talk about Uncle Louie. And Dr. Yurik says his Uncle Louie talked like, well, I ain't living, but I ain't dead. That was, kind of, that was Uncle Louie, according to Dr. Yurik. But the great thing about Uncle Louie was he was the respected person in the family. And you would go to him with your questions or your thoughts, and he would tell you yes or no, and he'd tell it to you straight. I just got a new girlfriend, don't date her, she's no good. I just got a new job, quit that job, not a good job. He'd tell it to you straight. So I have a friend and I've seen him around the business college and he's since graduated, so I looked him up on LinkedIn to see what he was doing. I knew he was was majoring in sports management. So I found his resume and I found that he's listing his major as management with a concentration in sports management, so it's a little funky but he redeems himself, it's just a little weird, but he redeems himself with his experience, and he served in a variety of roles with Oklahoma State University Athletics. Game day associate, athletic marketing intern, ticket sales representative, and he even did a project with the Oklahoma City Thunder doing ticket sales for them. So I'm thinking to myself, man, I wonder if he's with the OSU Cowboys? I wonder if he's with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Bam, he's working for Paycom! He's working as an HCM product setup specialist, Surely, he doesn't want to be working in that regard. He wants to be doing something in sports. Our friend likely wanted to work in an industry that is popular for sports management majors at OSU. He he probably wanted to work in ticket sales. It's a fine role that many of our graduates take on after getting their degree, and it it can return you pretty good money. But I honestly think it's like bringing ranch with celery dip I'm sorry, celery with ranch dip to the Super Bowl party. It's not like the pigs in the blanket. It's good, but it's just not very satisfying. Especially if you drove to the store for four years and spent, as John Mulaney would put it, $120,000 on that snack. I was sitting in one of my sports management classes because it's my minor in college. I remember my professor defending the sports industry because he said the customers behave irrationally. They're fans. And even if their team does poorly, they'll still buy the tickets. So if you're a fan of the New York Knicks and they're horrible and they are horrible, you'll still buy the tickets because you're an irrational fan. In fact, Forbes listed the New York Knicks as the NBA's highest valued team. Anyway, our professor tells us this and everyone's nodding their heads thinking, yes, yes, how important are we to sell tickets? And I'm thinking, what the heck? These tickets are selling themselves. Why do they need us at all? At this point, it may sound like I'm anti sports management, but what I really am is pro transparency and also anti degree that gets you a a job that you could have had otherwise. What if you love celery and ranch dip? You love ticket sales. I think there's a way to enjoy that snack without the four years and the student debt. I have a story for you. I used to work at a place called Metro Shoe Warehouse, and we'd sell things like Adidas shoes, New Balance shoes, North Face jackets, and all that stuff. Maybe you've been. And I met two people there, Johnny and Luis. And Johnny was an associate manager. And Luis was a sales lead who was finishing her last semester over at OSU, getting her degree in business. Now, the way Johnny got his job was he never went to college, but what he did do was he got into the sales force pretty quickly, not at Metro Shoe Warehouse, but at a few other places. And he learned how to be charismatic, he learned how to sell, he knew his product, he was thorough. Now, so was Louise, but she was going to college. So once she got her degree, she ended up working at Metro Shoe Warehouse as an associate manager. So now you have two people working in the same role, making the same money, one that's college educated, one that's not. Or another way of putting it, you have the same income as the person next to you, but you have a student loan to pay off, and they don't. So what I think is, if you liked celery and ranch dip, if you want to sell tickets with the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think Johnny and Luis are both equally fit to do that job without one has student debt and one doesn't. Food for thought. In an effort to be more worldly, we can look to China to examine their view on the American University. There's a good amount of foreign exchange students at Spears School of Business. They're being commissioned to study business degrees, but they're not here to study sports management or fashion merchandising. They're here to study finance and economics, and that's about it in the business school. Why might this be? Well, the Chinese government is set up differently than our government. They're sending students to study those degrees specifically because that's what they value. By sending them to get finance and economics and not sports management or fashion merchandising or whatever it may be, they're inherently telling them, this is the degree that offers a higher return on investment. So they're kind of like your Uncle Louie, right? Uncle Louis tells it to you straight. The Chinese government tells it to them straight inherently by sending them there. They say it's not the point of the service to go and get a sports degree. We don't value that here. But we have different values than China. If you want to be a jazz musician, by all means, get in your car, drive to New Orleans, and don't forget your saxophone. If you want to cook for a living, go be a chef's apprentice. You don't necessarily need a university, a university degree to make that stuff happen for yourself. But where the Chinese are right is that they're emphasizing to their students, these are the degrees that offer a high return on investment and these do not. So where are we left? We're left with people choosing to go to college because they feel like it's the next step. Then once they sign the dotted line, they're told to pick a degree based off of what they like and not necessarily based off that return on investment. Finally, advisors are recommending we take 10, 12 hours to lighten our course load. And that if we need to stay an extra semester or a year to finish our art history degree, it's no problem at all. 30% of college freshmen drop out, or in OSU's terms, 30% of people stop paying tuition dollars. It's a business. It's a service. The Chinese government sees it. Your Uncle Louis sees it. I'm sure you see it in some regard, too. They can't have that. Six years later, they're out of college, and they blame the system for failing them. They cite that they never learned how to do the practical things like calculate, calculate a mortgage, invest money, or how to manage their loan. That's the worst one. Part of my research was going on Twitter and i found this twitter user her name's julia and julia says in all capital letters why does interest exist on student loans that's a big question with one with a really simple answer unfortunately julia doesn't understand but it's not just julia it's a lot of people millennials was the target group here pw's to pwc identified millennials as having inadequate financial knowledge and they did a whole research report on it they found that only 24% of millennials were demonstrating basic financial knowledge. Furthermore, they found that millennials are worrying about their student loans. They asked them, how do you, confident do you feel in your ability to repay your student loan debt? And more than 54% expressed concern. Finally, with all these issues, they're not seeking any professional help at all. 27% of millennials are, the rest are not. So then what is the mindset of the young hustler, the young professional person? So here are some more tweets for you. Carla says, I'm done being sad. Now it's time to chase the bag. Haley says, can the bag chase me? And then Timmy says, chase the bag, chase the bag. We don't see the bag now. Money, no day inside. Now, it might be funny, sure, but this is kind of the typical rhetoric that illuminates a lack of financial knowledge and creativity for young people. For these people, the answer to financial freedom is to work hard and hustle for the raise or the bonus that will sustain you forever. They're not thinking about retirement. They're not thinking about paying for their kids' college. There's a rapper named Jay Z who has an excellent lyric Nine to five, that's how you survive. I'm not trying to survive. Millennials are advocating for things like socialism and condemning capitalism because no one taught them how to play Monopoly. They believe that their income is the beginning, middle, and end of their financial health and success. People, are, they think that pass and go and collecting $200 is the way to do it. No one's telling them about the properties and the hotels, the railroads. It's not, going, it's not coming across. So I love Jay-Z, and here's Jay-Z's line talking about this lack of deep financial knowledge in his 2017 song called The Story of O.J. You want to know what's more important than throwing away money at a strip club? Credit. Credit. And then one more line from Jay-Z in the same song. You're on the gram holding money to your ear. There's a disconnect. We don't pull that money over here. Yeah. So that last one to give you a visual, he's saying holding the money up to your ear like it's a telephone, right? And there's a disconnect. He doesn't call it money over there. So Future is another rapper. And he took a little bit of an exception to this. And he posted on Snapchat. He's holding the, the money to his ear like it's a phone. And he says, you ain't got the juice like that mood and Future's got some room to talk. Future is worth $30 million. But Jay-Z, first rapper to ever do it. His net worth with that deep financial knowledge, $1 billion. The first rapper to ever do it. So I think the other element to this is creativity. And I read a book recently and I want to recommend it to you. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert T. Kiyosaki. And he has a great story in there from when he was being interviewed by an impressive young journalist. And this journalist, before the interview started, she was remarking to him, she said, gosh, Robert, I wish I had best-selling pieces like you. You know, I get validated by my professors, I get validated by my peers, but for some reason, my work doesn't seem to take off. And Robert said, can I give you a piece of advice? And she says, sure, of course. And he says, I think you should enroll yourself in a marketing class at the local community college in your town. She got mad at him, really mad. She felt like her work should do the selling for itself. The integrity, the beauty of the work, that should do all the selling. She had no interest in diversifying herself for her own obvious benefit. Robert told her, I'm a best-selling author, despite me maybe not being the best writing author. There's a difference there. This journalist had a lack of creativity, and you also see an unfortunate amount of people with little creativity. This is due to closed-mindedness. We need to foster that creativity for open-mindedness that will lead to the good ideas that people need. Right now, young people, they don't know how to invest. They don't understand the time value of money. They're fixated on their monthly payments, and they aren't able to foresee their financial health in 10 years. They only see one month at a time. CNBC says that only 35% of the younger demographic is buying stocks, and 61% of the older demographic is. If you're an older person listening to this, you know how valuable investing is, but young people aren't being told effectively enough how valuable this practice is. I went to a financial conference out in Orange County at the end of last year, and they told us there that millennials are opting for robo-investment advisors because they simply don't want to pay the fee that a broker would charge. And I kind of understand the truth to that. For young people, apps make more sense. So if you want to try to get investing, I've done this. I've done the robo-investing with Robinhood. Sign up through the link that's in this podcast description. Go through that link, sign up for Robinhood, and it'll get you started very easily, and it'll even give you a free stock. It's really quite a cool app. There's a game called Five Card Mal that I play with my friends, and I hate Five Card Mao. The rules of this game are that you must figure out how to play only by trying and then failing. You get a penalty card that tells you you cannot do whatever it is you just did. I, for whatever reason, cannot figure out how to play. So now I just complain that the game is ridiculous instead of giving an earnest effort to solve the challenge. It's just easier for me to get upset. In that same vein, teach them how to play Monopoly. If you have young people in your life, if you're a young person yourself, teach yourself how to play Monopoly. How do we do this in life? YouTube videos, podcasts, books, You have to do your own self-learning. It's not always being taught to everyone. So that's why the podcast name is the tragic irony of the business student. It's that despite their earned degree or our earned degrees, we may not know the important business knowledge that will sustain us through life, no matter our occupation or values. There are so many ways to be creative and to learn. It's just a matter of getting started.
1: The opinions expressed in this podcast are entirely that of the hosts and not any affiliated enterprises. Thank you.